This is the Orange Podcast, conversations with Orange City Council for the local community. This is Alan Reader, and in a week where both the temperatures and autumn leaves are starting to drop, you've tuned in to the Orange Podcast. Coming up this week, why the company that's taking charge of keeping the state's track and trains running has chosen the community of Orange as the place for its new headquarters. Yes, that's the sound of jazz. We have a wine festival and a food week. Now Orange's newest music festival has released its latest lineup, and there's some names you'll know. And why one of Orange's newly elected council members wants to keep the conversations going with the local community. Absolutely, yeah. I think community engagement all, all the time is is crucial, and and I think the community strategic plan consultation has been great. Obviously, that's that's going to be a key guiding document for the council. But there's still we need to be constantly, you know, hearing from the community and talking to the community about where we're going. New councillor David Mallard. All that and not much more coming up in the latest episode of the Orange Podcast. Late last year, the state government awarded the new contract to manage the state's train and rail network to a new set of hands. It used to be the John Holland organisation. Now it's the UGL network. When they started looking around for a place to base their new head office, it had to be somewhere in the country. That was part of the contract. But for all sorts of reasons, they chose the city of Orange. And this week, they opened their doors in the former DPI building in Kite Street in East Orange. UGL's CEO, John Pastiche, believes the choice came down to what Orange had to offer. Uh, Orange, is, uh, Orange is reasonably central to the CRN network, and Orange is a great place to live. I shifted out here myself in September, and the, uh, the wineries, the restaurants, and the people are, uh, you know, make it special. It's, it's, it's complicated, but it's, it's simple. The, the systems we've got now allow us to plant, plan trains safely and efficiently and really take a lot of the guesswork out of moving, you know, 50 to 100 trains around the network every day. So it, it, there's a lot of, there's lots gotten into it, but it's a reasonably simple operation in itself. You've, you're still getting up to speed. How many jobs will eventually be based here in Orange? Uh, there'll be 75 approximately based here in the Kite Street office. Then we've got a depot down just down Ainsley Avenue, and there'll be another 10 there. So about 85 here in Orange itself. The economy in Orange doesn't need much boosting for, if you have a look around. It's uh, extremely, uh, the, the real estate market here is extremely vibrant and, and booming. Um, but it, in those 85 people, there'll be a lot of new newcomers to town so if you said even half of those were new families that's what say 30 30 families 100 100 120 people moving into town so that makes a big difference to a, a city the side of, of orange and fairly highly skilled jobs uh well, yeah skills uh right across the range from from engineers down to to track maintainers so uh, the, the whole gambit the government minister who oversees the country rail network, Sam Faraway, was there for this week's office opening. He's been dealing with the problems caused by the sinkhole that opened up under the main Western Rail Line recently. Interestingly, it's the sheer amount of the freight backlog that's built up while the line has been cut from a mine and a meat processor that points to just how much volume of freight is usually sent by rail. Sam Faraway. 
Um, UGL regional links will be very busy come uh, over the weekend and Monday when we have the uh, Western Line or the Blue Mountains Line restored. We have freight trains moving from 7pm uh, on Saturday night. We have the Explorer service running to Broken Hill starting Monday. We have the XPT starting Tuesday, the Bathurst Bullet Monday. But what's really important, as the Minister responsible for freight in New South Wales, what we've seen with the disruption uh, with that weather event has caused on the Western Line is the amount of critical freight that comes from the Central West and Western New South Wales. We're talking about coal, we're talking about copper concentrate gold, we're talking about Roger Fletcher's operation and 126 containers of pre-packaged meat being refrigerated, waiting to get onto rail so we can get it to port and for export. But also the grain. We're going to have another bumper season, a grain season, uh, and we're going to need to make sure that we've got that rail line in place to be able to move all that rail, uh, all that grain on rail and get it to port. You're listening to the Orange Podcast. In recent weeks, we've been meeting up some of our new eight new faces on Orange City Council, finding out what uh, what brings them to this point and where they're going from here. Today's episode is with David Mallard. David, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Introduce David Mallard. Who is he? Ah, I'm just a guy who's wanting to try to make a, a bit of a difference in Orange. I uh, grew up in Western Sydney, in Penrith, and then in the Blue Mountains, was the first in my family to go to uni, studied psychology, and uh, once I wrapped up my undergraduate degree and, and honours, I enjoyed the research, so I did a PhD after that, and that's what brought me then to a lecturer position at Charles Sturt Uni, so I moved out to Bathurst about 20 years ago, and then I moved across to Orange about 13 years ago. Um, I left the uni, I knew that I was looking for, for something where I wanted to make a bit of a difference, so I went and worked for a, a Greens MP in state parliament for five years. That was really great. She was the mayor of Byronshire before she went into parliament as well, so that's where I really got a sense of what um, local government could do and, and how important it was in, in leading the community. Uh, since then, I've, I've come back and I've, I've worked in Orange uh, in community engagement for a mental health service, and then for the last few years, I'm working as a union organiser. That, that's a huge breadth of experience. What of those skills and backgrounds do you think you're going to be drawing on to work as a councillor for Orange City Council? Look, yeah, I, I think the the work in Parliament has really given me, I got to do a lot of great policy work uh, in a whole range of areas in the human services. We had all of the portfolios for disability and ageing and, and those sorts of things. I also got to work on some private members' bills that we came up with that unfortunately never became law, but a climate change bill that, that was really great and a bill on wellbeing indicators for, for measuring community wellbeing and planning for it. So all of those things really important, but also the, the work I'm doing these days in the community and then working with union members as well has really been about engaging with people about what matters to them and and working with them to to help represent their views and and to exercise the power to change things so i really think those those two things together are what i want to bring to council what would that look like with a councillor if there's a, a resident listening who's got that burning issue they've been wanting to talk about for a while how would that translate to activity in a council chamber uh, well, what I, I really uh, 
want to do is is to get council to to take things up. Obviously, you want a community movement giving voice to saying we want these things to to change, and so that's I'm really keen to to work on that, representing and finding those voices, particularly that might not be heard in the community all the time, and and uh, giving amplifying those voices and and giving them a voice in the the chamber. For example. Ah, so that that can include, uh, I think, social disadvantage is a, a real area that we need to to work on tackling. So we've got a lot of great opportunities in town, but there's certainly inequality as well. Uh, so those underrepresented groups, I'm, I'm certainly keen on on things like uh, addressing housing affordability and making sure we've got. Uh, council doing as much as possible for people who are just not able to make it in the housing market. We have to recognise that, you know, we treat housing as a commodity, but the fact is everyone needs a roof over their head. Uh, and, and so finding those people and, and representing them. Also, the environment itself, which can't speak, you know, um, we need uh, to look after our, our natural environment. That's good for people, and, and there are people who are absolutely passionate about that, and I, I've already loved working with them in the, the community, and I've been a member of council's community committees before working on that, but obviously that's another area where uh, we need to to be giving voice to, to what we need for, for biodiversity and, and for the health of the environment as well. Orange City Council, like councils across the state, is you know, every in the months after an election does a thing called a community strategic plan, a, a detailed uh, community conversation to try and flesh out some of those things. It sounds like you're suggesting, as well as that thing that happens once every two or four years after an election, there needs to be an ongoing process of that happening more often. Absolutely, yeah. I think community engagement all, all the time is is crucial, and and I think the community strategic plan consultation has been great, and in in that uh, process as well, it, which has been happening quicker than usual because it it has to, because we're required to have it in place by June, and the election was delayed. But I've absolutely been uh, reaching out to to all of sort of the the constituency I've got and encouraging them to engage with that process. But yes, from here, once we, we lock that plan in, obviously that's, that's going to be a key guiding document for the council, but there's still, we need to be constantly, you know, hearing from the community and talking to the community about where we're going. You've said you've been involved in community committees. Is that one way for the council long-term to stay involved with, uh, to hear the views of people who, who've got particular interests and want to be part of a community committee? Absolutely, yeah. The community committees are, are great. So I was involved in the last term in both the environmental sustainability and economic development community committees and really encourage anyone who, who's passionate about anything in the, the community to look at getting involved in those. Uh, it, it's a great chance to actually be in the room engaging with the, the councillors and, and the councillors who were leading those committees did a really great job of making sure that uh, there was a good discussion and that there was a range of voices being heard, but also that those committees were driving a, a whole lot of, of work that was really helping lead the community uh, along on, on some really important issues. Um, big picture, you're starting off a couple of years now as a councillor. What are your priorities? Uh, look, I, I think we've got some key challenges that we've got to deal with. Orange is a, a great place and, and we've got a great council that's been leading the, the community, but I think we've got to tackle housing affordability and in particular, as I was saying, social and affordable housing is is key to make sure that people who are on low 
to moderate incomes are able to continue to find a place to to live in this city. So that's one of the the key ones. Uh, We also have some key environmental challenges that we've got to deal with, and that includes climate action. Council has been doing great stuff in that space. What I really want to focus on now is is seeing us also leading the community along in making that transition. That's absolutely crucial to to play our part. Uh, And then... um, also, as I talked about, wanting to, to focus on making us a really inclusive community and addressing those areas of, of disadvantage and, and making sure that everyone has the services and the supports that they need to be able to, to participate in our community. And then beyond that, probably the, the key thing for me, we're going to be a growing and a changing city. That's inevitable. But we need to plan for that and make sure that we're doing it in a way that protects the environment, that keeps the the city sustainable, that keeps the city livable so that even if you're going into a new area of town, you've got the things that we love about Orange. You've got the walkability, you've got the green space, you've got the street trees, all of those things. And then again, making sure that it's as inclusive as, as possible, that everyone's got the opportunity to, to live anywhere in this city. Each of those areas and priorities you've talked about, um, it would be easy for a council to say, yeah, that's that's the state government. That's, that's the federal government's job. How can we make sure that uh, local government's playing its part in those? Yeah, and and look, that's I'm definitely not one who's who's going to say council's job is just stick to rates, roads, and and rubbish. We've got a role to play in community leadership, and we've got levers that we can pull on some of those key issues as well. Uh, so, in in terms of of housing, the state government has given councils the mechanism to introduce an affordable housing contribution scheme. So you can make developers contribute either land or money to put towards social and affordable housing. Council also has its own assets that it can make decisions about what it it looks to to use. So we've got the the draft local housing strategies being out on exhibition. That'll be one of the things I'll be looking at when when it comes through for the the council. Um, yeah, and and again in terms of uh, you know climate action. Council can look at transforming its own operations to reduce emissions, and we're doing great on that. Loads of solar installation. The next thing that would be great would be, obviously, Council has a big vehicle fleet as well, looking at electrifying that and and getting it so that it can be not running on petrol as much as possible and and transitioning everything across to be zero emissions and powered by renewables would be great. You've been in the job now a couple of months. How are you finding it? What are the challenges? Uh, it's been fantastic. I'm really loving it. And yeah, we're three meetings in now. Um, it, it's a really great council to, to work with. You know, we've got a, a whole lot of new councillors um, from a whole range of, of diverse uh, backgrounds and, and all with our own constituencies. I think eight, eight of us were uh, elected as the only one from from our group ticket, basically. So you've got a whole range of different representations there, which I, I think is really good. And everyone is really working together and and really taking it, um, getting stuck into the, the role. We're getting a lot of briefings and a lot of inductions, um, but all of that, everyone's really engaging in, in that learning process and also engaging in the, the community meetings as well. It was really great to, to go to one of the first uh, community public forums that that we had an opportunity to to be invited to as councillors and see, I think it was eight of the 12 councillors were were there. So I think it's really interesting that that we've got 
uh, a council that's so fresh, um, that's so diverse, but also that that's really committed to to working for the community and and engaging in this leadership process. Sounds like you're optimistic for the future. Yeah, I'm. I'm certainly hopeful, and and yeah, I think it, it's going to be. And and you know, there are inevitably we're all coming with different ideas and different positions, and there are going to be areas where the council will disagree. But that's great. We can have that debate in the the chamber, and we can all try to get the best outcomes we can get. New member of Orange City Council, David Mallard. Thanks for your time today. Thanks a lot, Alan. New council member David Mallard. We'll find out about the priorities of another new council member, 27-year-old Jack Evans, in the next episode of the Orange Podcast. Orange is well known for its suite of annual festivals, Food Week and the Wine Festival. If the organisers of the latest edition get it right, thousands will be turning up from across the country to enjoy the best of jazz. The Orange Winter Jazz Festival happens over a weekend in June, and this week, coordinator Luke Wilkinson released the latest lineup of performers. We have um, Vince Jones playing at the Civic Theatre, and on the weekend ticket uh, we have Mahalia Barnes, Emma Pask, Ed Cooper, Josh Maynard amongst the local musicians. We have John Morrison also playing at the Civic Theatre on the Saturday night. And we have a very um, talented blues guitarist by the name of Andy Baylor who moved to Cowra from Melbourne uh, recently. Let's talk about the Civic Theatre concept of starters. A, a wide variety of artists rather than just, uh, just one. Yeah, it's a festival. So the, uh, the good thing about a festival is people can experiment. They can just try and listen to something new. You know, they don't have to, there might not be their favourite bands there, but you can just walk around town and go to a different venue. Um, just experiment and try something new. And uh, if you like it, then that's great, you know. It sounds like you're trying to cover a, a range of age groups from Mahalia Barnes through to Vince Jones. Yeah, so our target audience, um, the traditional jazz audience is older, but only about half the bands are, uh, are sort of jazz bands. And so we are trying to attract uh, the age group of, let's say, 25 to 40 years um, as well. How many venues have you got and how many hours all together? We've got six venues that uh, require for the weekend ticket. We have the Civic Theatre for two nights and we have an unticketed venue, which will be the Royal Hotel, for all the local bands who weren't able to play at the uh, professional stages. So tell me about the unticketed event. So at the Royal Hotel, if someone hasn't bought a ticket and spent 125 bucks, they can just yeah. walk in at some point through the day. Yep, yep. So that'll be running all weekend and that'll be, um, yeah, semi, maybe they're even, some of them might even be professional bands that just didn't get a, a, a Guernsey for the, for the festival. And so they'll be, well, on the, the paid stage, let's say, and, uh, and also have some younger musicians like school kids, talented school kids who need to get some experience playing before a crowd. What do you think uh, a jazz festival adds to Orange's suite of cultural festivals that we've got already? Food, wine, and what does jazz add? This is the biggest music festival Orange has ever had. We never had a major uh, music festival since I've been here, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us to add to that list that you know of events that we do hold, because music is actually missing. The Chamber Music Festival is good too in April, and uh, we're just adding to that um, different type of festival to theirs. And uh, you know, it's, it's I guess our focus is on contemporary music. We also get a lot of um, individual rock concerts, like we had Midnight Oil a few weeks ago. They get good turnout, so we're pretty. We're pretty confident that uh, the people of Orange will embrace it. Mark Welsh is the president of a local group that organises concerts throughout the year, Jam Orange. 
He's interested in seeing how Orange residents make the jump from buying a ticket for one show to buying a ticket for 40 different performers across eight venues. Well, being a, a local organisation um, that have, uh, I suppose, a, a network of volunteers that can help out, um, Luke is a very capable gentleman, but I think you need a little bit of support to help him. There's obviously a lot goes on in the background. Um, during the festival, there's going to be a lot of people running around volunteering to, uh, you know, assist at each venue. Uh, there's, there's a lot of work to be done, essentially. So in the lead up over the last 18 months, as, as uh, Luke was saying earlier, there's been a lot of work. So um, JAM is, is assisting with, with manpower. Uh, plus, our focus is to bring music to the community. So this is just, for us, it's always been something we wanted to do. Back in 2018, in March, we had a thing called Jam Saturday, which was a day-long festival, which was very, very successful. Uh, everybody has, has asked us to do something similar. This is uh, basically a, a fantastic opportunity to have a three-day event that, once again, benefits the, uh, benefits the town. Um, the, you know, it's good for tourism. But it's also great for the local artists, so we're really excited. Tell me some more about the local artists who will be there. You've got some high profile, Mahalia Jackson, Vince Jones. Um, who are the locals and why is it good for them to perform in the same festival as some of these high profile acts? Well, I mean, they're going to be playing in front of crowds that are travelling here from, you know, hopefully all over, you know, well, we're going to be getting people out of Sydney and probably Canberra and, and, and Melbourne and, uh, you know, we're hoping from some other far-flung areas. So they're going to have an opportunity to play in front of more people. Um, some of the some of the artists that are playing, some of the local artists uh, are well used to playing in front of crowds. Um, it has been a tough couple of years, obviously, with COVID. So what we've noticed as of late is people are actually coming out and venues are keen. And um, so we're expecting that, uh, you know, every, it's going to be a great event from the performer's point of view and from the punter's point of view and from the venue's point of view. For people who are in Orange who are used to going to a concert, they buy a ticket and they go to a concert. How, what's it like going to a festival where you can shop around, where if you don't like it, you can get up and walk away and that's fine and, and, uh, and, and experience something else, a smorgasbord if you like? Look, I, I've seen people who don't traditionally look at music go and see music and, and it's, it's always wonderful to see people do something new. And as, as Luke was saying earlier, once again, I think that you can experiment. The beauty of having a ticket to multiple events is that if it's not your cup of tea, you can go find something that is. And this is uh, a broad range of, of musical styles. Uh, you're going to get to see there's something for everyone, as we said. So you can move around, you can you can pick something out on the program, and if you've if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. And it's, you've got three days. And while you're here, you, you're going to also experiment around uh, the the other things that you can do in Orange. You've also got some a range of venues the, from the Plush Civic Theatre through to uh, the front bar at the Royal. Do they all all make for fun places for locals and and the big stars to play? Well, that's right. And if you look at, uh, say, for example, the, the Uniting Church or um, the Holy Trinity, these places have just gone through major renovations, and they're absolutely joyful to be inside from the sound quality. So the musicians are going to really love playing in these types of venues, uh, and it's going to be an amazing experience. Jam Orange President Mark Welsh and that's the show for this week remember you can download this program anytime from the Orange City Council website or subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you won't miss a thing until next time this is Alan Reader bye for now